Hello, and welcome to the opening night of Pacific Theater's Easter Presence. If you've been to Christmas Presence, you know how this is going to go down. It's a potluck of food for the soul. Salads and hot dishes and dessert, pretty much whatever folks had on hand and wanted to bring to the table. For just shy of 30 years, we've been gathering in the warm living room of Pacific Theater to hear people bring a tune, read a party piece, and celebrate somebody's birthday. Well, first off, as you may have noticed, it's not Christmas. And secondly, I'm afraid we can't invite you over to our place just now. You probably know why. But if being there in person in our intimate little theater is the best thing going, then I personally think that radio is the next best thing. So settle in, get comfortable, close the doors to the lobby, turn off your devices, well, except the one you're listening to this on, and listen. Now Jesus was an only son As he walked up Calvary Hill His mother Mary walking beside him In the path where his blood spilled And Jesus was an only son In the hills of Nazareth As he lay reading the songs of David Sleep well, my child, for I'll be at your side. Let no shadow, no darkness, no tolling bell shall pierce your dreams tonight. In the garden of Gethsemane, he prayed for the life he'd never live. Beseeched his heavenly Father to
John Oxendorf with a Bruce Springsteen tune. A week or so ago, John introduced me to a remarkable version of the song The Weight, originally by Robbie Robertson and the band, but in this version, sung and played by musicians literally all over the world. In our isolation in these current days, it's incredibly moving to see people in Congo and Los Angeles and Spain and Tokyo, Nepal and Trenchtown, Jamaica, making music together. Well, something like that happened here on our own more modest Easter presence kind of scale. John sang Jesus Was an Only Son in Testament a few years ago at Pacific Theater, and I asked him if there's any way he could record it for our show tonight. Just simple, a guitar and that voice of his, that'd be more than enough. But he got Chris Hawley to play some Hammond B3 on the track, Miles Across Town, and then Rick Colhoun mixed them together in his studio, off in Burnaby, and he invited a bass player he knew, Adrian Walter, to join in on the track from way down in Nashville. So there you go, our own humble playing for change tune. Now, I'm not going to be stopping to introduce folks from here on. This is theater, not a variety show. And it's not a regular soul food podcast. But if you go to our blog, Soul Food Vancouver, one word, you'll find all the credits there. The musicians, the readers, everything. For Act 1 that you're listening to now, and later for Act 2, which should go out sometime Saturday. Hopefully in time for a 2 o'clock matinee. But I will introduce two more guests, a couple old friends of mine who happened to drop by the Soul Food Studios, Ira and David. Yeah, we go way back. Well, we got to talking, and the boys started reminiscing about... Well, I'll just let Ira take it from here. In the mid-1980s, right out of college, David Rakoff moved to Japan and pretty soon ended up in this office job where he was convinced that he understood a secret about the company and its business that nobody else, not even the big bosses of the company, could see. It was like that from the start. Primarily, the office was an advertising agency. But what they were setting up was this thing for expatriates who were living in Tokyo at the time, or perhaps all of Japan. And it was like a network on a computer. And they would set up a newsletter on the network, and people could, quote, log on to the computer and talk to one another or do research. And I was just, I don't know, I just looked around the room and I saw these computers and could only think, like, what kind of loser (laughs) would log on to a computer, talk to someone? And in fact, that night in my diary, I had written something like, this is like those comic book enthusiasts who actually read the little instructions at the bottom of the panel that said, you know, for more on the Green Goblin, check out Spidey number 137, you know, from the (laughs) editor. And in almost the only moment of decisiveness in my entire adult life, I've certainly never equaled this, I went in the next morning and I quit. And all I could think was like, sayonara, suckers. Good luck with your network. And we know exactly what the network was. It was, it was the internet. 
I, I, I have a negative capacity to identify trends. Like when in college I went to see Madonna at Danceteria, which was a club downtown, like 1982 or whatever, mm -hmm. and I thought, boy, is she lousy. <laughs> other examples besides Madonna and the internet? Other than Madonna and the internet, you need another example? Um, when I was an editorial assistant working in publishing, I was handed a manuscript to read. And I think I wrote some like subliterate, you know, borderline misogyny, an easy pass. And somebody thought, I'm just going to take a look at this anyway. Uh, it was men are from Mars, women are from Venus. <laughs> these are not like me saying, like, I don't think Alicia Silverstone's going to be very good and clueless. I mean, these are like, you know. Pretty big, iconic ones. Yeah. It's like, have you fellows heard that crazy lunatic in the marketplace inveighing against the Pharisees? He'll burn off like so much morning fog. We'll never hear about him ever. ever. You know, it's just like that. Oh, that was a woman. In the Bible days, she had been sick, sick so very long. When she heard Jesus was passing by, well, then she joined the gathering throng. While she was pushing her way through, somebody asked her, what are you trying to do? She said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, then I be made whole right now She cried Whoa education to the age of six consisted of memorizing all the words to the rock opera Jesus Christ Superstar. Actually, I didn't more than memorize them. I acted out the whole album, my own private version of the London musical, which opened earlier than the American. I combined my passion for this album with my crush on Mr. Ed the Talking Horse. I had one of those innocent crushes that couldn't distinguish between loving Mr. Ed and wanting to be Mr. Ed, and I'd recreate the entire drama of Jesus and Judas and the other apostles as a talking horse. All this took place on a large yellow Chinese carpet that lay in front of the stereo in the living room. Each part of the carpet signified a character, and I would canter on my hands and knees from corner to corner to mouth each part as it came up. 
my knees carpet burning into a vivid red, I performed the entire drama single-handedly. For the big chorus parts, I would mount my hippity hop, a sort of big red rubber ball on which you could sit and propel yourself by holding onto a half-circle handle and bouncing. I raced around the room, imagining I was riding in complicated formation, banners flapping as the apostles wondered what was happening, as the beggars and the lepers overtook Jesus, as the crowd jeered in harmony for his crucifixion. The only drawback to the choruses was that my bouncing about often made the needle skip on the record, but it was also necessary as it gave my knees a short rest. The music itself had an uncanny hold on me. The sways and turns of the emotional narrative entranced me even, and maybe especially when I didn't understand them. The Pharisees were my favorites because their voices were so exotically varied. Plus, they all seemed so confused and put upon, which, even at six, was a state I identified with. I had to hold my ears during the scenes in which Jesus was whipped by the 49 lashes, not because I felt bad for him, but because the music itself seemed so dreadful. Religion in my family was regarded as a highly specialized form of stupidity, and yet I still long desperately to believe. How could I cross that line? Did God exist? I conducted experiments in my room. Sitting Indian style on my carpet, I'd not so much ask as announce, God, if you exist, prove it to me. And sometimes I'd qualify this, suggesting he, and it was always a he, do something like perhaps change the color of the carpet, or maybe make the family dog who recently died appear panting and wagging in front of me. I wanted the resounding silence following my questions to be the answer. The proof that I didn't have to waste my time wondering about such things anymore. Yet, I also wanted so badly all that peace, all that joy and love. One more 
Should I bring him down? Should I scream and shout? Should I speak of love? Let my feelings out. I never thought I'd come to this. What's it all about? Don't you think it's rather I should be in this position I'm the one who's always been So calm, so cool No lover's fool Running every show He scares me so Finally, I got undressed and got in bed. I felt like praying or something when I was in bed, but I couldn't do it. I can't always pray when I feel like it. In the first place, I'm sort of an atheist. I, I, I like Jesus and all, but I don't care too much for most of the other stuff in the Bible. Like take the disciples, for instance. They annoy the hell out of me, if you want to know the truth. Well, they were all right after Jesus was dead and all, but while he was alive, they were about as much used to him as a hole in the head all they did was keep letting him down. I like almost anybody in the Bible better than the disciples. If you want to know the truth, the guy I like best in the Bible, next to Jesus, was that lunatic and all that lived in the tombs and kept cutting himself with stones. I like him ten times as much as the disciples. That poor bastard. I'd bet a thousand bucks that Jesus never sent old Judas to hell. I think any one of the disciples would have sent him to hell and all, and fast too. But I'll bet anything Jesus didn't do it.
Oh, that night I went outside ready to die. So then beating him down, and I forgot myself chasing them all. I will be counted in his numbers. 
The cast of Christmas reassembles for Easter. Take the wise men to the Emperor's palace, wash their hands in water, get them to say something about truth. Does anyone know any good Jewish jokes? The one about the carpenter who thought he was a king? The one about the saviour who couldn't save himself? The shepherds should stand with the chorus. They have a big production number. Barabbas, we love you, baby. Mary? She can move to the front. We have a special section reserved for family and close friends. Tell her that we had to cut the manger up. We needed the wood for something else. The star, I'm afraid I can't use. There are no stars in this show. The sky turns black with sorrow. The earth shakes with terror. But hold on to the frankincense. We'll need that for the garden scene. Angels? He could do with some angels. Avenging angels. Merciful angels. He could really do with some angels. Baby Jesus? Step this way, please. My, how you've grown.
six feet apart? Did they know the depth of what they said when they said it? The very thing to keep us safe is the same depth of the graves that cannot be made fast enough. Rites read over bread, broken like the heart that says goodbye from inside because they cannot meet them at the edge. And yet, frankincense and myrrh wrapped round a love that was not put under the earth. A gift of broken bread, bleeding heart, a testament made that the grave cannot hold him. Death cannot hold him. Never six feet apart, just a rock roll away, an empty cup that promises that when blood pours out, he makes room. Six feet apart, a man standing tall, reaching out, cruciform, feet apart, nails in flesh, blood and tears of a mother who asks her God if he knew the cost of his own promise. Feet apart, she wraps them carefully, oil still in her hair, moaning in a prayer, My God, why have you forsaken me? Feet apart, he washes the one who will betray him and gives thanks. On the night he was betrayed, he gave thanks. Eucharisto, thanksgiving in everything. Six said that he was guiltless of the crime. Five anointing oils used to wash his feet. Four ways his clothes divided into lots. Three times he prays to be rescued from his fate. Two curtains tear on the moment that he dies. One Eucharisto. Thanksgiving in everything. Six feet apart. And yet... When they peeled you from the timbers The mighty one brought down Did howls of grief surround them or was there any sound? They'd cast lots for your clothing Did they cast them for your crown? To flaunt it as a trophy Or tromp it on the ground? In the place where you are broken I find my welcome here Where you were God forsaken In flesh and blood and tears This bittersweet reunion With the living, dying word Here at the cost of my cure 
They beat you and they lashed you and they draped you in a robe and called you king to mock you and nailed you to your throne with no one to defend you but a thief whose days were done saying Jesus don't forget me when your kingdom comes in the place where you are broken I find my welcome here where you were God forsaken in flesh and blood and tears this bittersweet reunion with the living dying world here at the cost of my at the International Airport. Crowds jostle, but there he is, in line just ahead of me. Like a promise of salvation, my boarding pass slides from the metal mouth of the machine, and I head for the gate, dragging my bag like sin. My passport attests to my identity. I'm a citizen of this world, as he is of all heaven and earth. A woman in uniform eyes us, then stamps our boarding passes with seals red as wounds in the flesh. We are approved for flight. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. At security, we remove shoes, coins, jackets, belts. They divide my clothes among themselves. With all the other pilgrims and barefoot as Peter, I feel the gritty concrete under my soles. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. So, now wash also my hands and my head. He helps me hoist my burden onto a bin and push it through a machine that proves it forgivable. No guns. No questionable fluids. This is a straight and narrow way. One by one we go through the scanner. Jesus stands firm, lifts, spreads his arms over his head in the posture I recognize from centuries of sacred art. The machine strips him naked as a shorn lamb. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. 
His body is declared flawless, but for some nail holes, thorn pricks, and dried bloody sweat. When my own body enters the viewing, one more naked icon for the TSA to ponder, the sonar impulses scrutinize the steel pins and implants that keep my flesh from failing. A machine has pierced me with vision. The scan is swift, without pain. It announces I am blameless. What does it mean to move along with the crowd, reassured that I am no threat, that I am not about to overthrow any of the kingdoms of this world? At the gate we wait with the crowd, but Jesus passes seamlessly through the door. He disappears down the jetway and out onto the tarmac. The sky is turning black, and now it is thundering. Where I'm going, you cannot come, but I have prepared a place for you.
Well, that's it for Act One. Get yourself some refreshments in the lobby, maybe a breath of fresh air, and we'll see you right back here for the second act in, uh, well, in a while. And don't forget to take a look at your programs. If you didn't get one when you came in, you can pick one up from one of the ushers at soulfoodvancouver.blogspot.com. You can't tell the players without a program. <laughs>